0: Hello and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I'm your host, Sean Needham, along with my producer, Holly, and we are streaming our midweek podcast this week from the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy Studio. We are not on the road this week. Well, we are, but we're just still here, too. So uh, it's wonderful to be here in our studio, and today you don't want to miss out. We have Dr. Kelsey Smith. Um, back on our podcast, we had her on, oh, six, seven, eight months ago or so um, before she was opening up her direct primary care practice. As you guys know, we promote a lot of direct primary care practices here all over the nation, and she's going to explain a little bit what direct primary care is, but it is a growing movement, and it is a very, very affordable non-insurance-based movement. Yes, it's non-insurance-based, and it's very affordable, more affordable, way more affordable than insurance-based things. She's going to share some stories that you are not going to believe how she saved people money. Even if they do have insurance, she saves people money. So um, without further ado, Dr. Smith, uh, welcome to our show.
1: Thanks, Sean. It's good to be back.
0: Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your practice and tell us when you started and, you know, tell us some great stories of how you've um, really made a difference in people's lives.
1: Sure. Uh, we we were able to kind of launch our direct primary care practice in stages. And um, so a lot of docs are that are working within the system have to you know, give their two weeks notice, you know, rip that Band-Aid off and jump out of one job and then, you know, invest in this new venture and jump in you know all at once i i kind of slowly ease the bandaid off i guess and um, because i have my own private practice and have for the last 14 years where um, I have been a part of the system, but as a as a small business owner, so I have billed insurance as a part of my practice for the last 14 years. And when I decided that was something I was no longer going to do, I, I decided uh, that July 1st was going to be the day that um, I would be outside of all my insurance contracts. So we operated in somewhat of a hybrid model for the first part of the year. I started taking... Um, Pre-enrollments from patients as of, uh, I think January 1st was when we went live with our uh, enrollment link and people could sign up if they knew they wanted to be a part of the direct primary care office, which um, for people that aren't maybe familiar who are watching this podcast for the first time or, or just learning about direct primary care, that's just a membership-based model where uh, people, if they want me to be their doctor, they say that I, I will tell them what I think that service is worth. They decide whether that's worth their hard-earned money, and then they pay me once a month um, for that service, and that buys them 24-7 access um, to me. So they can text, they can call, they can email, they can have as many in-office visits, home visits, or um, telehealth visits as they need. Um, obviously, if somebody wants me to come by their house every afternoon and chat for an hour, that's that's not reasonable. But I've done plenty <laughs> of home visits um, since starting this. And and it's really a lot of fun. Uh, it it liberates me to be able to do the things that, you know, you always thought you couldn't do because that's not covered by insurance or you know whatever the, the case may be. Or you're just too busy. And um, so we started with the, the signups. The reception from my patients was really very good. I, I went into it thinking. I would probably have to, um, I don't know, argue with a lot of patients and that I might get cussed at or yelled at um, for changing my business model. But um, people were very understanding, even those that didn't feel like the direct primary care model was for them, that they didn't want to pay a monthly membership fee, uh, could understand why I would be making a change, because I think everybody understands the shortcomings of our healthcare system. And so even those that uh, patients that you know, I was surprised might tell me they would rather go see somebody else even after I felt like we'd developed a relationship over the last 14 years. Uh, even though that was a little bit difficult to hear, there, there was never any harsh harsh words or harsh feelings. It, and that was, that was a surprise. So that was nice that everybody at least understood the underlying motivation for the change. And um, they didn't they didn't see it as a way that I was trying to gouge them for more money uh, and I think partly in the way we presented it to him, that this was something that we needed to do to, for our sanity and to help feel like we were delivering an honest product.
0: So uh, what was, if, if you just, just to back up just a little bit, what sure. was the motivation for the change? Why did you want to change?
1: We, we have always been a full service family practice clinic. And um, like I've said before, we have several Doctors here in the office. Um, Stillwater Family Care was the name of my fee-for-service practice, and with that, we have we had four family practice doctors and a pediatrician. We had delivered babies and done inpatient hospital care for our patients, as well as a busy clinic schedule. So, uh, I would deliver in a busy year, close to ninety ba- babies in a year. I would have you know hospitalizations on top of that, and then. A, Approximately 25 patients per day in the office. When my partners and I decided that we were maybe getting too old for you know middle of the night deliveries, and they they weren't interested in continuing to doing in doing obstetrics, and even if I really wanted to continue doing it, I couldn't do it without the help of my partners to cover call. And um, so their their solution to that change where, okay, well, we're no longer going to be delivering babies. They weren't planning to go to the hospital anymore. So their their plan to substitute for that lost revenue was, well, we'll just have to run faster on the hamster wheel. I remember my um, office manager came in and she said, okay, well, if you guys want to maintain the same level of collections from insurances and things like that, then she said, you'll just have to uh, make room in your schedule for between six and eight new patients every day. And I mean, I, even telling that story, I mean, I start to have a little bit of chest tightness and, you know, shortness of breath, just thinking about, okay, where am I going to find the room to put six to eight more patients on my schedule per day? I, I mean, I, I've always been a little bit of the slower doctor in the office at um, 25 patients per day. Uh, My partners will easily see between 30 and 40 in a day. Uh, And I just never felt like I could give people the time that they deserve. Maybe I just take a little longer to process things mentally. I don't know. But it helps me to put the picture together if I can spend a little bit more time with people. And I think people deserve that. So I had been looking at direct primary care as an option for a long time. And when we decided we were making a change as a group, to no longer deliver babies, and that they were just going to, you know, double down on their efforts to see more patients in the clinic. I said, you know what, that's great, but I can't, I can't do that any longer. I can't just continue to run faster. Um, I'm going to have to figure out a way, you know, everybody always says work smarter, not harder. And as doctors, we're not very good at that. We just keep working harder. And so this was one solution for my own lifestyle that i thought was a way i could provide the quality of care i wanted to and be able to adjust my lifestyle so that i wasn't doing charts until midnight that's one thing my 12 year old son asked me um when i started this he said mom once you're in direct primary care are you going to have to be doing charts all the time at home because on the weekends and at night that's what we would do you know you you see the patient you get them in and out the door do the bare minimum that you need to to take care of them but that doesn't complete the the job. You have to do so much documentation for insurance that's not related to patient care that I was spending hours a night um, and even on the weekends to, to stay caught up on that documentation. And anybody that's in a fee-for-service practice will tell you that's the worst part of the job.
0: Yeah, I don't think any physician ever talks good about that part. And and, you know, I think uh, because of your change, I think uh, patients probably appreciate that because patients don't want to be working. They don't want to be seen by a burnout doctor. It's right. not very fun for them. So, can you explain, has that changed at all? Can, has your attitude changed? Has your patient's attitude changed because of this?
1: It has. And that's what's, it's really kind of interesting. I mean, um, even the staff here in the office, uh, I'm not utilizing my the the overall office staff as much. I kept my medical assistant, and I'm still paying my portion of our office manager. But we take our own phone calls at my desk and my medical assistant's desk. We don't really utilize the services of the front office staff anymore. I don't use the in-house biller anymore, and so I'm trying to reduce my costs that way. But you know, we, we still work in the same office space as all those people, and. They have commented that um, I'm a lot more pleasant to be around and not nearly as scary as um, I came across as in the past. I think because of being so harried and, you know, stressed and burnt out, like you say, I mean, that rubs off on the people that are around you. And um, I even just had a random social media post um, recently and a friend texted me and she said, you know, I could just tell from your picture. She said, "You you just seem so. At peace, she said. I don't know what you're doing, she said, but you look so happy, and and I have I have been. It's been really great. And patients, interestingly, uh, because they're getting more time, I think, with me, they assume that that translates to less time for me, um, and it's a it's a total win win situation because even though they're getting more of my time my family's getting more of my time too. And it seems like an impossibility, but I actually had a patient this morning say, you know, I love this new setup that you have, but I worry about you. She's like, how are you ever going to find time for yourself? If you're, if you're giving us so much time individually, that's so far from the truth, you know, because, um, you interviewed, um, Dr. Keith Smith recently, and he talked about how, um, in a free market medical enterprise that, the best situation is when you can enter into a business agreement where it is a mutually beneficial transaction and that's exactly what i have found this to be i mean it's mutually beneficial to me and not necessarily in a monetary way but in a a lifestyle and the way that i can practice medicine and it's mutually beneficial to my patients so that they get the time they need and the attention they deserve
0: well can you back up a little bit and talk about how I think a lot of direct primary care doc people that are family practice doctors that are thinking about the direct primary care model, um, kind of on the same subject we're talking about, they're like, wait a minute, 24-7 access to me and my cell phone? There's no way I could handle that. Right. But from what I've heard, a lot of times you just don't get those calls at night from these people. Is that correct?
1: That's exactly right, Sean. Um, and I was worried about that too. I mean, uh, we've taken call as a group. You know forever and and i'll get those calls in the middle of the night always have that you know well my baby's got a fever you know what do i do how what's the dose of tylenol or should i take this person to the emergency room those types of things but since i've changed to direct primary care number one i think the biggest difference is the volume of people that you are beholden to per se because in the fee-for-service clinic there are five of us physicians each of us has a full practice, so estimate that at about 3,000 patients per physician that we would take care of. So that's 15,000 people that you're on call for every night that you take call. So that's a that's a large amount of people that could potentially have an issue they need to contact you about. Since I've switched over, and I feel like I've had a really robust um, enrollment, I've, I'm up to almost 400 patients enrolled wow,
0: good for you. That's awesome. Thank you.
1: Uh, but compare that 400 to 15,000. There's no comparison. Yeah. I mean, the but percentage the- of people that needed to talk to me could be dramatically higher and I would still be taking less calls. So that's that's really nice. And just the, the communication, the way that you can communicate is so much more uh, seamless that people can text me and and I'll often text them back while I'm in the middle of a conversation doing something else. You know, they'll be like, Hey, can I come in at nine o'clock in the morning and I'll text them back say, yeah, that would be great. See you in the morning. And we're done.
0: Well, I, I do you think it has anything to do with, um, I put myself in, you know, in, in a doctor's shoes when, if, if I had an, if I had an emergency or I had something that needed to be done. Um, you know, I think when you talking back about that mutual relationship, Um, do you think it has anything to do with the, one of the reasons it could be just sheer numbers, but also do you think it has something to do with people are like, wait a minute, you know, this really is an emergency. I know I'm paying for this service, but you know, I respect her time. She respects my time. It's kind of a mutual thing. So I'm just going to wait until nine o'clock in the morning when she opens up. Do you think it has anything to do with that? Because people see value in something because they're paying for it. It's not completely free or covered by insurance.
1: I think that's part of it, and I think also because you can they're they're assured that if they call in the morning they'll see me that day.
0: Oh, right.
1: So in the fee for service practice, I think a lot of times people would call after hours because they knew we were completely busy during the day. There was no way they were going to get in right. to see us, um, but that if they called after hours, they knew somebody was going to answer their call. So the the whole phone tree system, you know, where you call in and press one for this and two for that. And, you know, then you're on hold for 15 minutes. That in itself precipitates more calls after hours because yeah. people are frustrated with with the in-office system, much less their insurance system. Um, but then, yes, I think people have a lot more respect for and um, the fact that I'm probably asleep at two in the morning. And um, whereas when, because they know they're getting a hold of me, um when you're part of a system, well, they like my husband always said, he said they when they know someone is on call, right. it's a blank face. Yep. they don't know who that person is, but they know that somebody somewhere is on call twenty four seven. and he said, you know, in their mind, in that system, they just think somebody's sitting there with bated breath, you know, waiting to answer their call, you know, with nothing else to do. Well, if I don't call, they don't even have anything to do, and they they were getting paid to be on call tonight, you know. So in this system, people realize that it's me that they are calling and can get direct access to. And so they're much more respectful just because of that, I think, too.
0: So tell us uh, before the show, you were telling us some, some um, stories. Tell us some stories how you've already you know, saved some people money and sure. made it really a lot more convenient because of your direct primary care practice.
1: Uh, it's interesting because, uh, you know, a lot of people will tell you they're the number one excuse for not signing up for a membership is, well, I have I have health insurance. I have to use it. You know, if I didn't have health insurance, I would definitely sign up. And um, I would say there's plenty of people who have signed up in my practice who are uninsured. But the majority have insurance of some kind um, but have realized that that does not equate to health care. Um right. or the the type of healthcare care they feel like they deserve, and truthfully, they do. They deserve better than what the insurance product delivers. So, um, I've had people with insurance choose, you know, once I can lay out for them, I'm like I'm, and you've done a good job in some of your short videos of this, but um, people will come in and they want a specific lab, you know, value drawn. So well, we can submit that to insurance. I don't know if it'll cover it or not. I don't, I don't know what your out-of-pocket cost will be or if it'll apply to your deductible or coinsurance or all these different crazy, you know, code words that the insurance you know, <laughs> insurances used. Um, but I can tell you if you chose to pay cash and the the um, example we were talking about, somebody just wanted to have a blood count drawn and we were checking to make sure she was no longer anemic. So I said, well, we can check your CBC for $2.50. And the blood draw fee is $3.50. So it was right at about $6 to do her blood work. And we talked about this ahead of time. And she said, yeah, that sounds great. And she paid it. And then even a couple months later, she needed some additional blood work done. And she said, you know, I I need to check up with you. So I'm not sure that I ever paid in full for my blood work we did before. And I looked back and I said, no, you paid. It got added to your monthly bill on your invoice, and it was $6. And she said, well, I saw that. She said, but I just couldn't believe that that was the total cost for, for medical lab work. You know, everybody's ex- always expecting those prices to be really unaffordable and inflated, and, and they're not. They don't have to be.
0: Well, isn't that same CBC at a lot of hospitals like $70? Yeah. I mean, cr- crazy. And so if she would have went through insurance, worst Best case scenario, she would have paid probably a twenty dollars copay. Right. And, you know, but maybe it wouldn't have been covered, and she would have had to pay seventy bucks. Right. And and that's one of the things about insurance and non transparency in the system is you don't know. So you're so much better off. For routine stuff like labs and doctor services to pay up front and pay cash because then there's no surprises that six right. months later when you get a bill for, you know, a few hundred dollars. I mean, so kudos to you for doing that.
1: Yeah, it's, I mean, awesome. it's it's really, uh, I don't know, rewarding to to see that um, look of surprise on people's faces when you can tell them that, that they're paying so little for the things that we can get them at a cash price for whether that be imaging or medications or lab, all of that is is really great. Um, for the people that don't have insurance, obviously, I always talk to them about the ways they can get some major medical like backup, but some people just really aren't able to do that. And so just having a direct primary care membership in general gives them access to quality health care that they didn't have before. Uh, and I, I do have some people in, in my practice that are um, hardworking work, hard folks that just haven't been able to afford any type of insurance. Um, and and there's have been some dramatic um, savings there and and really maybe not so much savings as just the ability to have care that they might have gone without before they did right. go without. And um, the the instance we were talking about before the show is a lady that works as a housekeeper, knowing she had rheumatoid arthritis for years, but she hasn't been able to afford any medication specific for rheumatoid arthritis um, ever. And so she's just treated her uh, inflammatory arthritis with over-the-counter anti-inflammatories like ibuprofen or Aleve, um, which is, I mean, if, if you were to propose that as a treatment plan for someone with rheumatoid arthritis, I think I could very well be accused of malpractice. I mean, that's that's not adequate care for someone with such a potentially debilitating disease. And so I talked with her about whether someone had ever offered her methotrexate and she had not. We did the basic lab work to make sure she was a candidate for that. Um, And at a very minimal price, we can continue to check that lab work to make sure she's not having any um, side effects from the medication. And we're able to procure some methotrexate for her from a wholesale pharmacy and dispense that to her at a, Minimal cost. I think it cost her about thirty-five dollars for a three-month supply of methotrexate, um, and she was um, ecstatic uh, that she had something that was actually helping her um, her joint pain for once. Um, and she's, a, you know, she has a manual job, so to be able to continue to provide for her family, um, you know, this is something that not only um, gives her relief from symptoms but allows her to continue to um, hold down a job. And then that same patient um, developed a um, a GI virus and just gastroenteritis um, with stomach flu type symptoms, nausea and vomiting. She couldn't keep anything down. She was dehydrated, and her family contacted me on Memorial Day and asked, um, you know, what they should do. And um, even you know, for the the rote response for somebody that's in the system um, would be, well, you should go to urgent care or the emergency room because that's the facilities that are available after hours or on holidays. Um, But I happen to be in town. She's a paying customer of mine and I was happy to meet her at the office and see what I could do. Um, And so for her monthly membership fee, which my fees are set, she pays $85 a month. Um, I met her at the office. I have supplies for IV fluids and um, it it allows me to practice medicine like a doctor again. So right. I was able to um get her IV started myself. I didn't have anybody, no staff was there. Yes. So it was just me and my patient. It's just like you know the the way things used to be the in the old days with right? the doctor and a patient together and the doctor not just sitting in a on um, the in the ivory tower, but actually doing the work themselves sometimes. and that's rewarding, too to to get that IV stick on the first try is really um, kind of a thrill because it's not something you would have done in forever, you know, this hands-on medicine um, and gave her, um, uh, I think I ended up giving her two liters of fluid and a shot of Finnegan and sent her out the door, you know, feeling much better and saved her a emergency room visit. And had she continued to avoid care because of the potential cost, she could have ended up in the hospital. You know, if she'd gotten too dehydrated and potentially been in, you know, even renal failure or who knows what, that would have eventually, you know, cost her tens of thousands if she'd ended up in the hospital. Um, So that that was really rewarding as well. Um, A similar case is a man that, um, he works construction and doesn't have insurance, but he's a very um, uh, uncontrolled diabetic and has been for years. And he had insurance at one point point. Um, and his daughter said that he had insurance. He came to see a doctor who put him on some um, brand name medicines for diabetes. Very good medicines. But even with insurance, the the cost was too high for him to afford. And so she said he told her that um, the reason I got insurance was to help pay for medicines. And if I still can't afford my medicine when I have insurance, there's no reason to pay for this insurance. So he let his insurance go, stopped the medicines that he couldn't afford. And so then, of course, his diabetes just got worse. And I met him because he had been in the hospital with COVID. And once he got home, his family reached out to me and said he—he's a mess. You know, he's still on oxygen from being in the hospital with COVID. His blood sugars are 300. Um, we just don't know if you know he's on death's door. You know that something is going to get this right. guy, and he's—he's he's not that old. I mean, he's in his 40s. So yeah. I was like, you know, we need to help this guy. Um, and so was able to get him generic medications for his diabetes. Um, and, you know, make sure he was taken care of with his post-COVID-type sy- symptoms um, so that his, his oxygen that he needed, that he could continue to have, um, and then was able to do lab work and things like that. I saw him back recently, um, and even with the, a good combination of cheap oral medications, his sugars are still... Um, not at goal, they're much better, but not at goal. So um, I was able to dispense him some uh, samples of insulin, um, which is still hard to get cheaply at a cash price. But um, thankfully, I have good relationships with some of the uh, pharmaceutical vendors, and and could dispense him a couple months supply of insulin to get started on. Um, so all of that, like I say, to keep somebody, um, you know, not only healthy, but able to provide for their family is incredibly rewarding. Uh, it was kind of interesting. I'm actually, one of the projects I have um, right now, my husband's going to help me to get an after hours pickup box um, for medications and things um, set up outside the clinic so that when people need to pick something up because they don't get off work until after hours, um can do so with a combination specific to them. They can come by and pick up whatever it is they need. And uh, because I, it's been fun, but um, in a lot of those cases, this one in particular for the diabetic, and um, they weren't able to come by and pick it up. And they said, "Well, I just don't know. We always are working. While you're working, I don't know how okay. we're ever going to pick up our medication." I said, "Well, I can deliver it to you." It's like I'm looking at your address on your chart right now. I said, "You know, you live near the junior high where I'm dro- picking up my son at three, uh, four o'clock. You know, after school's out. I said, I can just drop it in your mailbox if you want." And Sure. You know, so yeah, just the little things like that, that people don't expect. And because you're, you're working with people um, like they're your neighbors and because they are. Uh, And so, and to be able to do that and drop that off and make sure he's got access to medicine as well as just um, knows he can contact us if he were to ever become ill again and potentially save, save his life potentially.
0: Yeah. And you know, in a traditional, if you were in traditional practice like a year ago, you probably never would have offered that, to do that. I mean, because yep. you are so burnt out from the day of seeing 25, 35 patients. You're like, you know what? I'm done for the day. Or you would have never started an IV a year or two years ago. Right. There's You're just not going to deal with that kind of stuff. And which really, in reality, I mean, like you say, it it adds uh, it adds some flavor to your life, to your practice. To I mean, it feels like you accomplished something by starting yeah. an IV, even though you know, you might not have to as a doctor do that in some situations. It's still cool that you can.
1: Yeah, (laughs) it does. It it lends to just, you know, the reason we went to medical school, you know, everybody, you know, it sounds really corny, but we go to medical school a lot of times because we do. We want to help people and you don't feel like you're doing that anymore. Whenever you're just being shuttled from one room to the next, seeing people in, you know, five to 10 minute increments, they're on the schedule for 15 minutes, but you know, you're not going to see them for that long because you still have to document, you know, as best you can before you move on to the next person. So you don't get to know your patients as well. You don't get to do as much hands-on type of uh, care. You know, that's why a lot of Primary care doctors don't do procedures in their office; they don't have time. So, you know, if you need a skin biopsy, well, we'll send you to see the dermatologist. If you need, you know, um, you know, whatever a toenail taken off, we'll send you to see the podiatrist. Those are things we're trained to do, but we just oftentimes don't feel like we have the time to do them. Um, And in this system, I can offer whatever procedures I feel like I enjoy doing, um, either as a part of my membership or at whatever honest cash price I feel like I would set for that and then let the market determine whether that's, um, something my patients feel like is valuable.
0: Well, I mean, back in the old days, family practice doctors, I remember the doctor that, um, you know, delivered me in in 1970, he started practicing in the 60s, small town Othello. I mean, he did appendectomies, he did C-sections, he did orthopedic surgeries. Right. Right. I mean, he did eye stuff. I, I mean, everything he did it all. And um, I think with some of these direct, direct primary care practices, you're starting to see some of that now, where they do more mm-hmm. things. I mean, do you have to when you have just a simple break? And I know I'm making this sound, you know, too generic and too simple. But when you have just a simple break in a in a wrist um, or an arm, and you just need casting, do you have to go to an orthopedic specialist if it doesn't if it doesn't need to be set? Mm-hmm. Probably not. You know. Yeah, and so, oftentimes I mean, just, in
1: kiddos you know a, a very minor fracture oftentimes doesn't even need a cast you know and just to monitor that keep it splinted and recheck an x-ray later and right. and that's been kind of um liberating too is you know I've I've been in my community for such a long time I know all the local specialists and things I've got their numbers in my cell phone and things and so they are wonderful you know resources to send a send a question to um, our one of our local dermatologists is great one of the cool toys i've been able to invest in since becoming in direct primary care is a dermat- dermatoscope and that allows me to look at skin lesions in a lot greater detail and i can take pictures of them and so i have been sending her more pictures and saying you know hey i saw this in the office today and what do you think? I was going to biopsy this, or do you think I need should send this? Or you know, these are my biopsy results. You know, should I send this to you, or does it need to go to a Mohs surgeon? So it it allows me to to interact with my colleagues more. And whereas before, you know, you might say, "Well, just you tell the office staff, you know, forward these records to so and so," but you never have that collegial interaction. And and I've been able to to do that more. You know, I have the time to reach out on patients' behalf to their specialists and things. So it's 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 rewarding in a lot of ways I didn't anticipate, um, as well as the ways that I had hoped. So I, I couldn't awesome. be happier.
0: Yeah, so I want to back up just a little bit to educate our, our our viewers and listeners. Um, so you talked about traditional health insurance. The one guy dropped his because it was too expensive, couldn't afford anything. And um, I just want to say that you know on our show, we've had we've talked about health sharing ministries, health sharing programs quite often. And they are very affordable and they are alternative to traditional health insurance. It's what my wife and I have. My wife and I pay like $150 a month for our entire family. It's incredible. Very, very affordable. And you can choose, there's many different ones out there, and you can choose the plan you want to choose at the, you know, what you want covered. My wife and I have minimal stuff covered because we believe in taking care of ourselves and we don't need a lot of, a lot of, a lot of coverage. We want catastrophic stuff. Mm But um, another thing, too, about the insulin pricing. So on our episode number one, my brother, twin brother, has a son that is type two, type 1 diabetic. And um, I helped him navigate the system to, to try to find inexpensive insulin. And, of course, sometimes we forget about some of the options that have been around since the 80s. And you can still. I was in South Dakota just a few weeks ago. I took a picture of it, and I posted this online. Is that insulin is not always expensive doesn't have to be designer insulins yes Mm -hmm. but you can still get over-the-counter insulin Humulin in Humulin R, which 70 30 very affordable 25 dollars a vial I mean it's incredible don't need a prescription and I know we could debate this for another day but um you know I know the designer insulins last longer and maybe work quicker but the reality of it is is those other insulins worked for years and as a diabetic especially type 2 diabetic you have to watch your diet anyway that's the most oh, sure. important part so um there is ways to get affordable insulin um, yeah well and that's interesting you
1: know. that you'd mentioned that i you know the the delivery method is, is um something we've gotten spoiled with too the newer insulins have you know yep. the cool little um pin delivery yep. system and and that's part what you pay for as well as the the patented delivery systems that they have and things but um so while i have samples. I'm happy to give those out. Absolutely. To people. But um, but you're right. Um, it just takes a little more education to say like, okay, this is what an insulin syringe looks like. This is how you know what your dose is. You're actually going to pull up your own dose rather than click the, the pin. Right. Um, and I, I don't think we give people enough credit that they can figure that kind of stuff out. People figured it out for a long time. I agree. Um, right. But, but, it, but it, it just takes a little bit more education to, yeah, to figure absolutely. that out.
0: So I think you got a couple more stories. you got a lawnmower story involved where you <laughs> saved a guy at a hospital visit, right? <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, that's when the, the like I said, the communication part is so key. You know, you never know what people are going to send me um, by text. You know, I got a picture of this guy's thumb, you know, followed by, hey, dog, do you think this needs stitches on a Saturday? <clears throat> He'd been trying to get something un- unwrapped from his lawnmower blades underneath his lawnmower and had st- Cut cut his thumb open. And um, I said, Yeah, that, that looks like it needs stitches. So, um, again, you know, there's going to be times where maybe I'm not in town, but that Saturday I was here. And so I said, Just meet me up at the office. And we got it cleaned up and stitched up and sent on his way, you know, and um, with, you know, minimal interruption to my day um, as well as to his. You know, he didn't sit around waiting in an urgent care and emergency room for hours. And we just, you know, set a time that was convenient for the two of us and got it done with, you know, maybe 15 minutes was all it took. And, and like I said, I didn't charge him anything extra for that. He's a paying customer, he pays his monthly membership fee, and um, he went on his way, and I went on mine. And, uh, you know, like I said, mutually beneficial. Um, I felt like um, I provided him with the service that I told him I, I would. It was, you know, it's always a little bit fun to, to do a procedure like that. Mm-hmm. It didn't interrupt my weekend, um, significantly and, um, saved him a lot of money, you know, from and time, you know, so that, and he, you know, I think a lot of that too, is there's a lot of trust that um, people place in you as their primary care doctor. So just the fact that I was the one placing the stitches, I think gives people a lot of reassurance rather than walking in and, not, in, not knowing who they're going to see, you know, is, is right. this person a doctor uh, yeah, right. Who who is this person uh, that might be placing their stitches? And that way um, my patients always know that, um, you know, we, we have that relationship and that trust and that, that helps as well.
0: So before the show, we were talking about sometimes when we go off into new adventures, I know we had the same experience. Um, some of the last people to, believe in what we're doing or or trust that we're going to be successful is our family. Can you talk right. to that a little bit?
1: Well, um, you know, my mom, she may watch this. I don't know. We'll find out. But <laughs> um, her comment at one point along this venture was that she wasn't sure if there were enough independently wealthy uh, people in my neck of the woods to make this venture work. Uh, and truly, I, I mean, I've got people all along the financial spectrum that have chosen this as a valuable investment of their hard-earned money, whether they are on at the poverty level or if they are, you know, considered wealthy. Um, It's certainly not, I think a lot of times people will refer to direct primary care as concierge medicine. And in a way it is because you're offering um, your services at a cash price, but we are not trying to pre-select for the very uh, wealthy or, you know, a, you know, a CEO type practice where, you know, you have all these um, executives come in for their, you know, high price physicals or, you know, pay you an exorbitant amount to be on retainer for them. And um, we really are just in, I think the direct primary care movement, the philosophy behind it and the, the heart behind it is that we just, we just want to make medicine affordable again, make medicine fun to practice again and um, feel like we're honest in our practice of medicine. I think that's one of the things that Dr. Keith Smith with the Surgery Center of Oklahoma said. You know, he felt like an accomplice to a crime when yep. you are part of a system that overcharges um, so significantly uh, outside of our control. Um, but then you are complicit in that in that crime as long as you continue to participate in the system. And that that's been wonderful. I mean, if people don't think that my services are worth the price that I set, then that's fine. (laughs) Uh, That's, that's the beauty of the free market, but I can, I can set what I think my expertise is worth. And then I'm able to design my practice around that. And my patients um, are, I think the beneficiaries of that.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, I think one of the things is, is that, you know, you talked earlier on in the show about it being mutually beneficial for you and the patient. That's how a free market exchange works. But I will say this with a lot of uh, doctors that have went into um, primary care, went into direct primary care, it was either they got out of medicine or they did something like you're doing. And thank goodness that they're doing something like you're doing, because a lot of good doctors have left and, you know, more have left more good doctors have left medicine than went into direct primary care because it is such a racket and they just can't do it anymore. So, you know, kudos to the doctors like you that are doing this. So you can still take care of, you can still take care of people and, and, and they can have good doctors.
1: Yeah. I mean, it it is because there's so many people that even if they're still, you know, in medicine, they may have chosen to do and a a completely administrative job, you know, or things like that because they, feel like the, the practice of medicine is, um, is not possible to do, you know, the way they want to. And, and that's what I would say to people who are on the fence or who feel really burnt out. I mean, I really do love my job again. I don't think I ever got to the point where I hated coming to work, but there were aspects of my job that I really disliked. Uh, and I've been able to minimize that percentage of my job just by ten tenfold, I mean dramatically decrease the, the the tasks that I have to do on a daily basis. That I really just abhor are are minuscule now. I mean, there's there's very little about my day that I that I dislike or that I um, you know uh, don't look forward to. I mean, I, I look forward to coming to work again.
0: Yeah, well, I love it, and you know, I'm going to have to go back and watch our uh, episode from a few months ago. Sure. But um, I can honestly tell, Dr. Smith, that you do look and talk different than you did before <laughs> you started this practice. I'm serious. You just seem so vibrant, so happy, um, so calm. And right. I, I, I love it. I love it. So I it's obviously that you have a passion for what you're doing and and you're enjoying it. So, so thank you Absolutely. so much. So as we wrap this podcast up, um, how do people get a hold of you if they have questions about direct primary care?
1: I, I think that's the best, one of the best parts of this. I mean, I can give people the number that um, reaches us directly. You know, there's no there's no middleman. So our phone number that uh, comes directly to my office uh, during office hours and to my cell phone after hours is 405-777-4955. And I'm, I'm happy to put that out there for anybody to call that wants to talk to me or chat about direct primary care. Our website is www.pioneerhealth.com dpc.com and and I I, like i said i'm not uh, opposed to talking about uh, our our system with anybody that has questions
0: awesome i love it dr smith thank you so much for being on you definitely achieved our goal of educating and empowering consumers to t- take charge of their own health so thank you so much
1: oh you're welcome thank you sean
0: uh, so monday tune in to health solutions with sean and janet needham we will have Lori powell on for her second um Interview where she talks about her a uh, journey of health, and the second part of it is her recovery from addiction. So you don't want to miss out on that. Twelve thirty to one thirty Monday, Lori Powell about her addiction recovery. So tune into Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Thank you so much for watching. <music>